This is He Said, Then She Said, a series of conversations with Jewish and Gentile couples from around the world. I'm Tuvia Zaretsky, and as your host, I've been researching for over 20 years some of the intercultural challenges that are described by these intercultural couples. We want to get an authentic look into how they navigate those unique and complex challenges, and then hear from them how they found spiritual harmony in their relationship. If you or someone you know would like support for those similar interfaith relationship issues, you can contact us by email at info at jewishgentilecouples.com. Well, I look forward to sharing with you the conversation that I had with Alexandra, we call her Alex, and Andrew, also known as Drew Hefty. Give a listen and do it with an open mind. I think you're going to hear something really authentic and very candid from these dear people. Hi, everybody. This is Tuvia Zaretsky with JewishGentlecouples.com, and I'm delighted to be today with Alex and Drew Hefty. In, they're in Haledon, New Jersey, and uh, I'm really delighted to, to hear some of the, the insights that they've had. These are two really interesting people from their, their own backgrounds. Drew, if I understand correctly, you're serving as a director of family discipleship at Grace Redeemer Church in Glen Rock, New Jersey. Uh, my role is to minister to the youth and their families to work with parents as discipleship partners, uh, to train them, uh, partner with them, learn from them as we work together to minister to their students. What's the age group for the kids that you're focused on? Sixth grade through 12th grade. Wow. Got any interesting issues happening these days? All the time. All the time. Yeah. I mean, Youth ministry in the 21st century is, it's a whole new ball game. If you think about the history of youth ministry, a lot of times we think of the evangelical model that came out of the 60s and 70s. You know, young hip guy that uh, was hired to be the junior pastor to young people, and then they eventually get promoted to an associate or lead role. And then a new guy comes in and ministers to the youth and they got the cool hair, the rock and roll, and they do the big fun pizza parties. And as we've been studying human development, especially teenagers, uh, there's been so much research in that. It's really such a different uh, need today. Adolescence has extended to about 25. And so really youth pastors um, are faced with numerous challenges that, that we weren't talking about even 10 years ago. And so we, a lot of parents are caught off guard by topics like pornography or topics like LGBTQ, topics like anxiety and pressures and being here in the Northeast, you know, everyone's on the Ivy track and that's just an immense amount of pressure. So what used to be like, oh, youth groups competing against the sporting events is now youth group is competing against presets and all the other things that are going on. And so, you know, these parents are trying to do the best that they can and 
a lot of parents feel very lost and that's where the church can really come in and support them and do ministry. Um, and so not only is youth group evangelistic, but now it's so much more discipleship. And in discipleship, training the, the kids to understand what the nature of a relationship with the living God is all about in the, in the family context. huh? Exactly. I mean, I cannot tell you how much it is. Um, it is an incredible experience to watch a child, a youth really come to know their Lord and savior to walk with him and discover the depth of relationship to turn to him. He created them and he values them. And so, and these kids, to, when they come to realize that, that they're not alone. That's exciting. That's really exciting to, to be impacting so many lives, especially today. We hear a lot of the, the struggles going on in the, in the school systems, public school systems yeah. in particular. And uh, you're right in the heart of that with the, and working with the families, which I think is the best, the absolutely best context to be doing that. You grew up in California, if I understand. So you're kind of in the diaspora out there in the East Coast. Is that right? Oh, very much so. Alex, you're a Californian. Is that right? I was born in California. Most of my adolescence was spent in Alabama, though. Oh, that's close, right? <laughs> <laughs> Tell us a little bit about your mom was Catholic and your dad is Jewish. Right. And But you were raised in, in a setting that was not typical for, for a Jewish family at that time. Yeah, absolutely. So we had no extended family around. My Although both sides of the family were heavily against um, my parents' relationship when they when they decided to get together. Um, so they were searching for um, religious harmony. They were, yeah, they were searching for um, just a way to be able to find some common ground. Um, they, yeah, in their, in their relationship. So yeah, so they got connected and um, we, uh, we kind of hopped, we did a lot of church hopping at that time, um, messianic congregations and, and then just other, just traditional evangelical con- congregations, um, until, yeah, until we settled in Alabama. And then at that point, uh, my dad became very sick and uh, with cancer and then he passed. And then uh, a lot of those traditions stopped in my family. So um, I've always had um, a very special relationship with my Jewish heritage, but also a very complicated one. Um, and then it eventually became estranged. Um, so that's kind of, yeah, that's kind of a little bit of my story there. Where was your dad from? He was born in New Jersey, actually, mm-hmm. um, and then grew up in the L.A. area, okay. the San Fernando Valley. Yeah. He had a fairly traditional Jewish background? Yes, he did. Yes, it was very traditional. Yep. And then um, the the remaining uh, members of his family are still very traditional Jewish. Yeah. Okay. So traditional keeping festivals, maybe maybe not typically involved in synagogue every week, but certainly connected to, to Jewish holidays and festivities and keeping Passover and Jewish weddings like that? Yes, absolutely. And I would even say synagogue. Yeah, my aunt, uh, my paternal aunt does go to synagogue pretty regularly. Yeah. So yeah, still very connected. Mm -hmm. So at some point your dad became a follower of Jesus and married your mom Mm -hmm. and you were raised in that dual culture. When you said that you set that part of your heritage aside, what does that mean? My my dad was um, was always the one to advocate for um, 
introducing us as Messianic Jew. Um, he was always the one to advocate for um, just the Jewish, you know, our culture and the customs and the festivals and the holidays and um, and keeping that alive. You know, he, I think that was, you know, because he grew up that way and that was very special to him, he wanted his children to have that experience as well. And so he, yeah, so, you know, in, in our family dynamic, he was the one to always advocate for that when he became, and my mom wasn't opposed to it. You know, I, I just want to clarify, you know, she wasn't, she was not opposed to it, but she definitely, you know, yeah, she wasn't, she wasn't the driving force behind it, um, but she did support it. And so when he became ill, um, when I was a teenager, all of those um, things gradually started to fade away. Um, and he didn't have, you know, the strength or even the, you know, even the state of mind um, to be able to continue integrating you know, just the beauty and the richness of the Jewish mm. Jewish culture into our family. That, so. that would make sense if your mom your mom wasn't Jewish and she was was there supporting your dad. He was taking the leadership in that. Yeah, right. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. So you moved from Mobile, Alabama. You ended up at uh, in Portland, Portland, Oregon. Yes. Is that where you two met? Yes. Yeah. Yeah, we um, met at Multnomah University in Portland, Oregon. Yeah. So, Drew, what were you studying there? Uh, I was getting, I was going through seminary, so getting my master's in Christian leadership. Alex, what were you studying? I was studying clinical counseling. And you've done that? I uh, actually haven't. So I I did a slight career shift when we moved from Portland um, back down to um, the LA area um, for Drew's job relocation um, about a year and a half after we got married. Um, And so I got into child welfare. So I am now um, a child welfare social worker. And the two of you have a a little guy. Yes, we do. We have a four-year-old. Yeah, We'll come back and talk about him in a bit. So Drew, you're you're from Southern California. Mm -hmm. Did Did you know very many Jewish people? Yes, I did, actually. Um, I knew several Jewish people. Um, I knew people that would be ethnically Jewish, but Christian. And I knew Jewish people who were ethnically and traditionally Jewish. So they were going to synagogue um, on a relatively weekly basis. Did you have a sense of, of how the traditional Jewish community felt about Jews that said they believed in Jesus? You know, knowing some ethnically and culturally Jewish people, uh, I got to talk with them a lot about their perspective on Jesus. Um, and so it was interesting to hear that they valued Jesus. They thought he was a great moral teacher, that his synopsis of love being ultimately love God and love others or love your neighbor was great, but that Christians got it all wrong with the whole he's God thing that more he's just kind of like just a really good teacher, maybe a prophet, but probably not like that was kind of their perspective. So valued his, some of his teachings, but wanted to just quickly dismiss any kind of um, implications relating to his authority as the Christ. By the way, when you talk to somebody who was, was Jewish. What did they understand about the word Christ? They understood the word Christ to mean the Messiah. They They, did. They did. Uh, I don't know if they related it to their own Jewish faith, but they understood that that's where Christians got the word from. And they just talked more about a messianic period 
And they said, I don't, we don't really hold to that there will be a physical Messiah. Rather, we are in a messianic period. The reason I ask about, about the, the meaning of Christ, I had no clue mm. uh, when you said that some of your friends understood it to mean Messiah. I frankly just thought it was his last name. <laughs> you know, that probably says a lot more about my, my cluelessness than anything else, but that was, that was my experience. So, Alex, when you guys met, did you did you have some sense that there was a, a cross-cultural lack of understanding in some things as you were talking with Drew? There was in some sense. Yeah. So I, I feel, so I definitely, um, I've always, so I've always worn my star. Um, I have a star of David necklace that was given to me, uh, by my father on my 16th Hanukkah. And so, you know, that, that always has a tendency to, to strike up conversations around my Jewish identity. So I think, I think that's what started it. And we had talked a little bit and and there was, I mean, I think when I, when I talk with anyone outside of my, you know, messianic, community um there there's always this sense that like you're not going to under you're not going to fully understand you know my identity who i am my culture my customs you know my family you know that that's that's even more you know personal and unique right so i i shared I briefly shared, you know, that I was Messianic Jewish. You know, I came from a Jewish Gentile. I'm a product of, you know, product of a Jewish Gentile couple. Um, I shared a little bit about my my parents' um, journey, um, but it didn't go much farther than that. Um, and I think primarily because in that season of my life, I, you know, of course, that was after my father had passed and I had moved away from home and I, I, I wasn't connected to uh, to a Messianic Jewish congregation or community. Um, and so I think I, I felt so far removed from those traditions and just kind of like that whole aspect of my um, previous life, in a sense, that it, you know, that's kind of where the conversation stopped. So I think, mm -hmm. you know, Drew has been such a blessing to me in the sense that he has advocated for my the the continuation of all of those things, you know, um, you know, celebrating, you know, remembering Hanukkah, celebrating Hanukkah, um, celebrating Passover, even participated in, um, you know, a Passover Seder at his church. And so um, he's always been so thoughtful and mindful to, um, to incorporate those traditions into our relationship, even though he has no personal connection to it other than me. And I, I was always very blessed by that. And, you know, just, just his conscientiousness and his thoughtfulness, that was, that was a huge, that, that was just very, um, very dear and special to me. Drew, your experience with, with other Jewish people didn't kind of got you, got you over some of the, the barriers and hurdles, I suppose, huh? Well, that, and honestly, when reading John 10, where it says that Jesus went to the festival of lights, I'm like, Jesus celebrated Hanukkah. Why am I so like? there's nothing wrong with celebrating Hanukkah and the beauty of what God did in that time. And so if it's celebrated by Jesus, then I have zero problems with celebrating it. And so it's been fun. It, the problem is, is being a Gentile is I don't get any gifts. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to call you a Renaissance man until you got there. <laughs> okay. All right. That's good. Well, good. Um, let's talk about the wedding then. I mean, the, the next area that we find, lots of challenges cropping up. Alex, unfortunately, your father was had passed before you got married. Right, right. So was there was there any any Jewish um, culture brought into the wedding ceremony at all? 
No, there wasn't. Um, And I think the primary reason for that is because, um, you know, as I had alluded to earlier, I I was so, by the time I had met Drew, I was so far removed from that that part of myself. So I I should also add um, a little bit of context here. So um, I have no surviving Jewish family members um, Mm -hmm. other than my um, my paternal aunt, so my my one of my father's sisters, um, and my father's oldest sister has no contact with our family, unfortunately. My paternal aunt um, is the only one, and she was in LA at the time, um, still is, but we were up in Portland. And so I, I think the picture I'm trying to paint is, you know, after I moved to Portland, after a pretty traumatic experience in Alabama, that's what prompted me to move away. I, I just, I felt so far removed. So I think there was another element as well um, that I probably wasn't fully conscious of, you know, as we were planning our wedding. But as, you know, as I'm reflecting on it now, as, um, I can probably see that, you know, when Drew had, you know, when, when Drew and I were dating and, you know, I had become aware that, you know, he was, a, you know, he was definitely not Jewish or Messianic or, you know, any, you know, any kind of, or, you know, even a, you know, combination of the two. He, he was a pastor, right? Like he was an, you know, Protestant pastor. And so I think I, I kind of just made, I, I made the, I guess, an unconscious sacrifice. Um, I don't like, again, I wasn't fully like aware of, you know, okay, I am now, you know, sacrificing any opportunity to be in a relationship with, you know, a Messianic Jew or a Jew. I, it just, it was just kind of like, okay, I'm, I'm going to be moving on with my life now, um, in a, in a totally different direction. Um, and so when, so the, the issue of incorporating any kind of Jewish traditions into our wedding never came up because, um, I think even prior to that point, I was like, okay, this is just, this is going to be my new life and I'm going to leave, you know, that, that possibility behind me. Let me put this question out to both of you then. So you got married you've come from different cultural backgrounds. Were there challenges as you got to know one another and realized that there were things that your partner's background that were very different than your own that might've might have been a, a reflection of the differences in a Jewish and a Gentile outlook in the world? I think for me, the biggest thing that, that probably would you know, constitute what you're describing is um, there were a lot of traditions, you know, celebrated in my family. And, um, you know, because of my dad being the, you know, the driving force behind incorporating all of those traditions and and just the richness and the history and so much of it. And Drew has a much different story and, and didn't really have that. So I think, but, but what I think is unique about our specific, you know, our particular relationship is that he advocated for those things, even though, you know, he didn't have that experience. So I don't think, I don't think I would, I would say that it ever caused like conflict. So the springtime comes around and Drew, you're used to looking at the resurrection of of Jesus as part of your church calendar. And Alex says, we'd like to celebrate, we ought to celebrate Passover. Did that happen? It did not. I'm more likely to actually advocate in our marriage for that. I think what I think as Alex has slowly opened up about her heritage, it has helped me be able to get excited about her culture. Yeah, but I would I was not even remotely as interested in 
Passover or Yom Kippur. I'm probably butchering that, so see how bad I am. Or Hanukkah until dating and getting to know Alex better as as a woman of faith, but especially as a Jewish woman of faith. Have you ever had somebody say something anti-Semitic around you and had you prompted to say, you know, my, my wife is Jewish, just to kind of warn them off? So this would be good confession time. I have. I have when it's mostly been since our son's been born um, that I've heard stuff like that. You know, I thought because my son is now is a quarter Jewish ethnically, I thought I could say an anti-Semitic joke and that's okay because I'm a dad and a husband of Jewish people. And uh, the horror of my wife's face definitely showed me that that is never appropriate. So let me ask Alex, when, when you heard this and it's, it's a reflection an innocent ethnocentricity on the part of somebody who, who just doesn't know how it sounds. How did you, how'd you navigate that with, with Drew? Yeah, I, I didn't navigate it well at first. I think I was like, I was extremely triggered. I was extremely offended. Um, and so I, I really had to like, just try and stay calm. Um, and I, and I'm grateful that as Drew was watching me experience that reaction, um, he, he immediately recanted what he said and he was like, oh, I'm, I'm so sorry. Like it was, it was almost as if he didn't even recognize that it was offensive. And so in that moment, I realized that it, this, you know, that comment did not come from a place of malice and it was, it was just ignorance. And so I think when I was able to make that shift in my mind, by the grace of God, we, we were able to have a conversation about it. And I was like, Drew, what possessed you to make that kind of comment? Um, and then we were able to kind of process that together. And he, you know, he explained a lot of what he just um, shared. And so, um, so that was kind of my journey. That's kind of how I navigated it. Because of that conversation, which was a, it was a hard one for sure. And I, I fully repent and I'm sorry for what I said. Um, like my wife is half Jewish and my son is a quarter Jewish. Like you need to be a little bit more sensitive because there are people around you who are Jewish. And like, I think in no, some was, yeah. Let me, let me just let you off the hook there for a moment. There are a lot of people who, who think that ethnic jokes are really fun and funny to make about people without ever understanding that, they're unintended, but if you've experienced slights, I'm not, I'm not, that it's, it's very painful. I'm not somebody that goes around looking to, to um, cancel people yeah. at all. But I went, I was in college at a time when those, those things were common. Mm-hmm. And so it was real easy to make those, those stereotype, typical kind of jokes that objectified a community in in a way that t- took something away from their dignity yeah and it was incredibly painful but it was also helpful for me to to be able to learn to to say to somebody they'd make a comment like that and and i'd say you know i'm jewish and they would go well some of my best friends are jewish and my response to that was well that's a surprise yeah yeah <laughs> i want to ask something it's a pointed question where does the thought that somebody is half jewish come from 
more relating to just the biological like being alex's mom being a gentile and her dad being like he was biologically a hundred percent and then alex did a whole like 23 and me one of those genetic things and so it came out like 50 percent. so that's where it's like half jewish i would say like as a family i would say our identity though i would say we're a jewish christian family mm-hmm. i identify with that with her. like it's funny how often she's like you're not even jewish but i'm like i identify as jewish now because i'm married to you and i have a son like mm-hmm. it's those traditions have become like important to me and valuable because of my wife and and now especially sharing a child together and valuing his heritage so here's here's why i asked that kind of question about if somebody's when people talk about being half jewish or quarter jewish um i know what 23andme says but let me ask you this do you recall moses married a midianite yeah zipporah so were his kids half jewish point let me let me ask another one. Oh, i know where you're going with this <laughs> so king david's great-grandmother yep was ruth the moabite yep she never called ruth the jew yeah and yet she is in the lineage of king david yeah and i don't think anybody calls him half or half z or something like that yeah it's it's altogether possible for somebody to to have one parent who's jewish and for them to have an internal identity Mm. as as a a jewish individual yeah that's a good insight i didn't didn't thought about it so that that also brings me to the question about when you were thinking of having children did these issues come up and if they did what kind of interesting conversations surrounded that they they did come up definitely and we yeah we had some really great conversations about it i'm i'm actually so thankful and i I think i've mentioned this before that drew has always been so supportive um of the continuation of um of my of my jewish identity culture you know cultural traditions all those things he's been such an advocate for it so when we talked about having kids um you know thankfully we didn't have a lot of conflict about you know things like you know getting him circumcised or you know when we found out he was going to be a boy or um you know celebrating hanukkah you know around christmas time and learning how to integrate both of those traditions just the way that you know my parents did um and you know and and taught my brother and myself you know about you know, how to, how to have harmony with those two things. They don't have to be diametrically opposed to each other. Um, They can coincide and this is why, you know, and so I, we, we both agreed to, um, to have those kind of conversations, you know, with our, with our son and any, you know, any other future children that we were going to have. So um, yeah, Drew. So I feel, so I, I definitely told Drew that, you know, I, you know, it, it was so in the same way that my dad was an advocate for those Jewish traditions to continue in our family. I also wanted to be an advocate, you know, to, for that to continue in our family, you know, as, as a Jewish Gentile couple and how to integrate those two things um, harmoniously. So, so yeah, so I'd say 
yeah, we talked about it and we were both in agreement. Um, Andrew's always been very supportive. So I'm, I'm just incredibly thankful that he's always been so curious as well and has always, you know, asked about, well, oh, you know, Alex, when you were growing up, like, how did your, you know, what did your dad do about this? Or how did your family, you know, celebrate this? Or, you know, what, what are some traditions around this time of year that you guys have? I think that's wonderful. I'm really glad you brought that up. And Drew, something I've said to people um, to help them out a little bit, it's really easy to get lost in trying to, to do things that we assume will will are the right way or to please God somehow. I've found in all the, the holidays that there is something built into it that enhances my relationship with God, causes me to love him more, to be more um, connected with him and and where that holiday then integrates and inspires mm. my faith. Yeah. And, and I would, would just encourage you and, and anybody listening to this to, to not worry about doing the, the perfect right form, but to find that heart. I think you're, you're really um, prepped and skilled and, and set up to, to do that sort of thing. Um, and so I think it's, that's a, you've got an asset going there for your family. Well, this, this is great. You know, one of the, the things that we we run into is couples that feel because they're they're unique, a little bit on the the margin of both cultures. The Jewish partner feels a little bit on the margin of the the Jewish community. The Gentile partner feels a little on the margin of the Christian community. Um, obviously, you're not going to have that um, that isn't an, an issue at at the Redeemer, yeah. um, and and they're in New Jersey, where the intermarriage rate is going to be pretty close to that 50% mark already in total. The, the rate of intermarriage is higher than 61% mm. in your generation. So that's, that's become pretty much the norm. And you, the opportunity as you, as you meet other Jewish Gentile couples to be able to say, oh, yeah, we're like that. We're, you know, we're in the same boat and we're just working things out. Um, I think you have a, a chance to kind of pioneer a way for them. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Well, thanks. We're, we're at the, the end of this, but I just want to say thank you so much for taking the time to do this. And I think a lot of people will be, um, will be glad to hear. Um, if they want to get in touch with you, do you, is it okay if they contact me and I'll pass along email to you that you can reach out to them? Absolutely. Thanks guys. Well, that's today's program from He Said, Then She Said. It's one of those conversations with Jewish Gentile couples from around the world. Pretty poignant, huh? If you or someone you know would like support for finding spiritual harmony that Alex and Drew have described, or you'd just like to connect with us to find some resources if you have similar challenges, you can connect um, with us through our webpage at www.jewishgentlecouples.com or by email to info at jewishgentlecouples.com info at jewishgentlecouples.com Please, while you're on the website, check out our blogs 
some of the resources that are there um, will speak to the issues that we were talking about today. There's in, uh, additional information on Facebook and our Instagram page. Again, Jewish Gentle Couples. We hope to hear from you soon. Uh, this is Tovia Zaretsky saying shalom and blessings.